Well, thank you, Chantel. Wonderful to hear all that's happening in the life of church. I just want to reiterate, as we do most weeks, you know, if you're not involved in the Connect Group, you can get involved. You know, we've had so many new uh, Connect Groups starting during this time. Uh, Andrew and Joanne Mills started one a few weeks ago, which is just so amazing. And so if you're not connected, uh, then why don't you get into a Connect Group? You can find out more information on our website, thevineyardchurch.co.uk forward slash connect. If you need a hand finding a connect group, then you can, of course, email us as well, office at thevineyardchurch.co.uk. You know, being connected is just so important. You know, church isn't about the Sunday service. It's about us being a church family. The body is the church. So get involved, get connected um, during the week as well. Um, you know, another thing I want to just say is um, I can't wait to get back into the building. You know, for some of you, you might have seen my announcement last week as of um, the Easter weekend from the Good Friday service at midday. We're going to be opening our doors up again in a blended service. What does that mean? It means on site you can come and indeed we'll be continuing to stream online as well. Now, of course, we continue to adhere to all the uh, COVID guidelines. So two meter distances, masks are mandatory um, and we have to um, manage capacity in here in order to maintain that distance. And so uh, you do have to get tickets, they are free. But if you go to our website on the What's On page, why don't you sign up now for our Good Friday service and our Sunday services. Uh, youth are also going to be meeting in the evening in a blended fashion, so on-site and online. And we are working actively on a plan to get the kids back in as well. We know how important it is for our kids to be back here in church. And so as you can appreciate, that's a logistical challenge, but one that we are working on and hope to update you on the plans for that soon. And you know, the other great thing going back to Easter Sunday is we're going to have the band here live from that point on. And talking about the band, I just want to just say to the guys, Sam Lane, our worship pastor and the rest of the worship team, what an amazing job they're doing. Just absolutely love, uh, love the worship this morning and just so excited to have worship back in the building. So if you've missed that live worship experience, you know, being here together, even though we can't sing yet, then do come along for that Easter Sunday service. Okay. Um, well, as Chantel said, we are in our Stand Strong series that I launched last week, looking at the full armor of God as we find in Ephesians chapter 6. And uh, thank you for all your emails and messages of encouragement. I'm so glad it has impacted you. I, I got an email from someone who shared that uh, they pray the full armor of God over their kiddies in the morning every day before they go to school. I absolutely love that. What a great thing to do to not only teach our children in that way, but just to cover them with that protection. What a great suggestion uh, to do so. Well, if you missed last week's talk, it was indeed uh, an introductory type of talk to set the foundation as to the reality that we are in a spiritual battle and therefore we need a spiritual armor. You know, the battle we fight is not flesh and blood, as Paul says. And so we can't fight this walk uh, with physical weapons. And uh, we unpack that together. And so if you missed that, can I encourage you to catch up with that? You can do so on our website. Uh, or indeed our, our mobile phone app, our smart device app, you can get the Vineyard Church as well. Uh, so do catch up. So 
here we are on the second week, and we are progressing in uh, the full armor of God. As I said last week, we're going to take each week and unpack all the different elements of the armor of God. And so where we arrive at is the first part of the armor, which you can read in verse 14. So why don't you turn uh, with me uh, to that, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14. Paul says, stand firm then, and you know, that's the message. You know, three times Paul says, stand firm, stand your ground, be strengthened in, and we unpacked that last week, stand firm then, listen, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. So there is the first part of the armor that we're going to look at this morning, which is the belt of truth. And I'm going to ask, essentially, you know, whenever you read the Bible, it's always good to ask questions. Lord, why a belt? That's the first question we're going to ask. And Lord, what truth? And these are the two things I want to look at this morning. Now, when we talk about belts, what do we have belts for for today? Well, um, of course, uh, to keep your trousers up. That's one reason. I, I wear this belt to keep my trousers up, to keep me all tidied. And I tuck the shirt in. Um, that's one reason, of course, a very functional reason. But of course, there are other reasons for wearing a belt, isn't there? Fashion. You know, my, my, uh, my girls have got these lovely dresses and they have these inbuilt belts in them. They don't need it, but it looks, it looks lovely. <laughs> Thank you for that, yeah. And so, um, you know, many people wear belts for fashion. Indeed, you can get some very elaborate belts. So um, the question then is, what kind of belt is Paul describing? Is he describing a fashionable belt? Well, as we uh, looked at last week, you know, Paul was using the metaphor of, uh, of a battle to talk about the Christian walk. And he looked at the armor, and uh, many scholars believe, and I think it's a fair point to make, that he was basing it on a Roman soldier of the day. And so what kind of belt did a Roman soldier wear? Good question. Well, it wasn't like this thin thing here. Um, it was a big leather belt that went around like this, heavy leather, and it had these metal um, things that dangled down. I tried to find a, a photo that I could use to show you all, but uh, try to find one that hasn't got copyright and is very difficult. So you're going to have to use your imagination, or indeed if you're on a device you can Google Roman leather belt and you'll see it now. And it has this protective piece at the front, of course. But also it has elements of the belt that you slot in other parts of your weapon. And it was the first thing that the Roman soldiers would put on. And really, essentially, therefore, the belt had two main functions. And the reason I'm going to look at this is because after I've done this, we're going to look at how that applies to our life. Because this is not accidental. It's not like Paul was like, oh, what can I use? No, we know that this, this word is God-breathed, Holy Spirit-inspired. There is an intention, an intentionality behind why Paul started with the belt and why it is a belt. So we ask the question. Two reasons. First of all, it afforded protection for the soldier's loins. Loins. What a, what a ye old-fashioned word, isn't it? Loins. What is a loin? Well, it's essentially the hip and waist area, you know, this kind of part. And while the Bible uses the word loins in a few meanings in the Bible, normally a couple of main ones, the loins in this context means the seat of strength and vigor. That's what it means. It means the inner strength and vigor. You know, you've heard that phrase, gird up your loins? You heard that? 
You know, Peter uses that in 1 Peter to about gird up the, the loins of your mind. It means to get ready, to strengthen, to brace yourself. And so you see the belt is a protective to protect your inner strength and your inner vigor that allows you to, to brace, you see, and to stand strong. And you see, what we're going to see is that it is truth that braces us. What truth? We'll come on to that in a moment. But secondly, the belt had another function, and I touched on this earlier. You see, the belt held the soldier's sword. And the breastplate, did you know, was clipped to it. And it is also thought that even the shield was attached to the backplate and belt. So in other words, no belt, no armor. <laughs> no belt, forget the rest. If you didn't have the belt, then there's no point putting the rest of the armor on. It's not like you go, well, I don't need the belt, I just like a sword. My little boy was talking to me yesterday. He said, Daddy, can I get a sword? I fancy a sword. Get a plastic one, of course. <laughs> but you know, you can't just pick, oh, I like a shield. I'll go with the shield. No, you need to have all of it. That's why Paul says, put on the full armor of God. And we can easily see the connection, by the way, between God's truth and the sword of the spirit. Uh, sorry, the word of truth holds the word. You see, God's truth and his word are inseparable. The word of God is truth, John 17, 17. And we're going to unpack this in a moment. And so as a summary then, first of all, the truth protects our inner strength. It braces us. I'm going to look at that now. And secondly, the belt holds together the rest of the armor. So let's move on then and ask the question, what truth? And this is where I want to focus on the, on the talk. And actually, if you study the word truth in its context, many commentators will actually say that it really can refer to two types of truth. The first is actually one which is least talked about, but regarded by scholars as possibly the most likely type of truth that Paul was talking about. And that is this, walking in truth, or another way to put it, walking in sincerity. Walking in sincerity. And the second type of truth, which is probably where most of our minds would go to, and maybe more of an obvious one, is the truth of who God is. And indeed, you could say the truth of who we are in God also. And, um, and as I looked at these two things, the reality is I could spend a lot of time on both. And rather than try and squeeze both of these into a, into a talk, I thought, you know what, I, I reserve the right to uh, do a part two next week. Um, because I don't want to spend a long time talking. We're going to have Paige later lead us in a time of ministry so that we can respond to his word. And so I'm actually not going to spend a lot of time on the first truth. But, but I do want to spend a lot of time on both of these truths, which is why I think I'm going to split this up, because they're both important. So let us look at that first truth then, which is walking in sincerity. What does that mean? Another way to look at it is living a life where you live in good conscience. It means living a life where as followers of Jesus, you set about to do what you know and profess to be right, 
and you set about not to do what you know and profess to be wrong. Let me say that again. It's about setting about to do what you know and profess to be right, and you set about not to do what you know and profess to be wrong. Why do I say set about? Because it's not always easy, is it? It's about heart and intention. We do fall sometimes. I could have said we always do that, but it's not a reality. It, it is a walk that we walk, but it's about setting our hearts and our minds to do that which we know and profess what we confess to be right. That's what it means to walk in truth. You see, a sincere follower of Jesus is conscientious about their conduct. As one scholar said, I love this, recoiling from duplicity and hypocrisy. You know, living a double life, a life of hypocrisy. You see, when we are called to be holy, holy means to be set apart for God. It doesn't mean to live a life of one foot in the world. What do I mean by world? I don't mean this earth. I mean the, the evil systems of this world and one foot in God's camp. That is not living and walking in truth. If you live that way, you don't have the belt of truth on. You know, as I was studying for this talk, I came across a quote from a Scottish minister from the 19th century, and you'll detect it so by the language used, but it's called Alexander McLaren. And in fact, he did a, a Bible commentary. And this is what he says about sincerity. In fact, terrible as the acknowledgement may be, we shall be blind if we do not recognize that the average Christianity of this day suffers from nothing more than it does from the lack of this transparent sincerity and of absolute correspondence between inward fact and outward expression. I love the way he put that. In other words, Christians say one thing but do another. What a terrible indictment. And yet I confess it to be true. You know, one of the groups that was most rebuked by Jesus was the Pharisees. Why? Because of duplicity. Because of hypocrisy. The, their outward expression of worship to God was separate from their inward fact, to use Andrew McLaren's language. They didn't walk in truth. Matthew 6, when Jesus was, you know, the great Sermon on the Mount, which is all about heart. It's all about heart. It says, when you fast, do not be somber like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. But truly, I tell you, they already have their full reward. You see, our inward reality of what we profess and confess our love for Jesus needs to be expressed in our outward reality. <clears throat> you see, if you live a life of duplicity, you leave yourself, and this is where it's linked into the belt, you leave yourself open to an attack from the enemy and a very specific ploy and attack, which is this, accusation, which leads to shame and guilt. 
So many times we focus on offensive attack weapons to the enemy. Oh, I'm going to proclaim the word and this and the other. And that's great. But listen, if you're starting from a point that you are walking a life where your outward reality is different from that which you confess, you're starting from a point of, well, vulnerability. There's no accident that the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write this first. And you know, I would say out of all the enemy's schemes, and if you read in Ephesians 6, it talks about the devil's schemes to attack us. This is probably the, his go-to one. If you like, if he has some kind of list, and I, I'm sure he doesn't, but go with me on this. I'm sure this is, you know, step one. Attack their inner strength. Let's see if they're walking in truth. Because I can get them on accusation. And once I do that, it's not far to shame and guilt. And then I immobilize them. How do I know this? Let me tell you, I know this to be true because I have walked this life, that life that I've described. You know, during my early days at university, which is over well over 20 years now, there was a time where I lived a very different way that I knew I ought to as a Christian. You know, I was very blessed to be brought up in a Christian home. Very blessed to um, know the Lord from an early age. But, you know, I would tell people at university I was a Christian. I would profess what it meant to be a Christian. And yet, the way I lived, well, I knew, and to be honest, indeed, they knew, it was contrary. There was an obvious disconnect. Disconnect is another word for duplicity, I think. And so I could not stand strong in the enemy's attack because the enemy always got me on this accusation. And you call yourself a Christian. And you call yourself a Christian, Mark? And the way it would play out from that accusation was that I would often hide from God. Too much shame. Too much guilt to have to deal with. I'd rather just ignore it. I, did, I couldn't even go for my shield of faith. I couldn't even go for my sword because I hadn't even got my belt of truth on. The body blow right there. And you know, I would, as I reflect on my time, I remember the, the sweet calling of the Holy Spirit and, and I remember a few times I would get into my car and, and go to a, this local church, it was a Baptist church, and I would sit in my car outside and think, I'm too early. If I can just wait until the service starts, I can slip in the back. And near the end of the service, if I just slip out before the service ends. <laughs> and I had this battle within me because the enemy kept getting me with, and you call yourself a Christian? Really? What's the point of going to church? God doesn't even want to see you right now. Lies upon lies. You know, it says in the scriptures that the devil is the accuser of the brethren. He's the father of all lies. And if we walk in this duplicitous way... We expose ourselves, and we become vulnerable to the attack of the enemy. You know, here's the other thing. 
it also meant that the enemy pushed me off from able, for me to be able to fulfill the Great Commission. The Great Commission was what? To, to make Christ known, to save souls. It, it, I was completely ineffective. It's not that I didn't talk about Jesus. In fact, I probably talked about Jesus more when I was drunk than when I wasn't. God loves you. You know, that kind of stuff. And I thought I was being bold, but actually what was happening, they were looking at me thinking, but you're not any different than me. And so if we want to move forward, if we want to take ground from the enemy, if we want to make Christ known, if we want to stand strong, you'll be rendered useless by the enemy before you begin if you don't walk in truth. But as I continue this story, it went on like this for maybe a year and a half. But one day, something happened which changed this. In fact, I look back at my, uh, my Christian walk, and you know you have those major milestones in your walk with the Lord that you can say, you know what, there was a real turning point for me then, or that was a major moment in my, in my life with Jesus. And this was one of those moments. You see, I did something which offended someone close to me. I'm not going to go into the detail. But suffice it to say, it wasn't, wasn't, wasn't great. And you know what they said, and they weren't even a Christian. They said out loud the very thing that the enemy was accusing me. They said this, and you call yourself a Christian? You know, at that moment, I could have shrugged it off that I had done many times before. Ignored it. Tried to push it away as I had done it so many times before. But, you know, it was in that moment, it was as if the Lord said, you know what? Enough is enough, Mark. <laughs> Not in anger, but in love. I just stopped and it was like the reality of, that, of, of, of the truth of the life that I was living. My eyes were opened. It was by the very great mercy of God that my eyes were open to the reality of the falsehood I'll say it falsehood I was living and I tell you I remember it as if it was yesterday I went to my room and I just started weeping on my knees God forgive me what a fool forgive me Lord I don't want to keep living this life I don't want to keep walking this walk and I tell you, I mean, this was about Easter. Funny enough, you know what? Interestingly enough, it was about this time, probably 23, 22 years ago. And the rest of my housemates, in fact, this was a second year of uni, went off. And I was left for a few days before I, I went back home. And I was on my own in that house. And I just spent days on my knees, just repenting and just seeking God again. And just, just enjoying his presence, his healing, love and presence. As I came back, almost you know, as, as akin to the prodigal son. You know, the prodigal son saying, well, you know, my father's a great guy and he has all this. And yet, here I am. I've, I'm not walking in that truth because I'm a, I'm a slave and I'm feeding pigs. And I think that was that moment that I put on that belt of truth in that moment. And I'm not going to say that the battle's been easy since that point. In many ways, it's hotted up. But the enemy doesn't get me on the first point. And you call yourself a Christian. 
Now, let me just say at this point, you might be hearing this story and saying, well, well, well steady, my, my, my life is not that duplicitous. I don't have this huge thing as you may have done. Of course, I haven't given details. But lest you think this doesn't include us and that may not be a challenge for you, and I have faith that the Holy Spirit is prompting those that need to be prompted, it could be something small. It could be the fact that you're harboring bitterness, unforgiveness, It could be that there's another area in your life that you're unwilling to let go and yet you know it to be wrong. If you walk that walk, you let yourself open to attack from the enemy. I think I'm going to stop at this point and... I just have a sense that For some of you, there is a battle that you have that has meant that you've been unable to walk in truth, in sincerity, in integrity, in in holiness. And you'll say, but Mark, I have tried. (laughs) You don't understand the difficulty. You don't understand the trigger points in my life that mean that I do X, Y, and Z, even though I know it to be wrong. And yes, Mark, you're right. Every time I do it, the enemy comes in and says... And you call yourself a Christian. Well, I believe that this morning the Lord is, by his great mercy, opening your eyes this morning. Why? To shout at you? No. (laughs) To welcome you with open arms. And you know, a response is, Lord, I don't even have the strength to put on that belt. Lord, I make that choice. I have that desire, but would you put it on for me? It does say in the the word, put on the buckle of truth. We have our part to play to say, I make a choice. But you see, we have the gift of the Holy Spirit that by his grace, his unmerited favor towards us can put that belt on with us as we go to put it on. And what I'd like to do now is um, Paige is going to lead us in a song. It's about building our life on him. And If this talk has resonated with you this morning, if there's things in your life that you need to do business with God and say, Lord, would you forgive me? You know, what does repentance mean? I bring this up quite frequently. It's such a freeing word. It means to turn away, make a choice to turn away from that which was that was wrong and to walk towards Jesus. If that's you, I want you to do that now as we worship him, as we make a choice to walk in truth. So Lord, I just pray. Holy Spirit, thank you for that which you're doing in your people now. Lord, I pray you would work in us. Convict us where we need convicting. Pour out your love and your grace upon us. As we reach out to you, as we come to you in worship, I pray. Amen.